you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter number 4. Revelation chapter number 4. We took a couple of weeks break from Revelation after the last letter to the um, last church, but we're going to come back to it today. Um, I'm not sure how much deeper into Revelation I'm going to go on Sunday mornings. Um, I'm still praying and pondering that. Um, I don't really know how to make application of all that stuff about the tribulation to a Sunday morning congregation, so that's probably going to be more of a teaching opportunity. I may just, for a last message on Revelation, just kind of take you on a whirlwind tour through the rest of the book. Um, I'm just not sure yet, but we, we won't go much deeper into Revelation on Sunday morning, I can I can assure you of that. And um, and I, somebody has asked me... I. I, I don't make I try not to make folks feel guilty about Wednesday night services. Um, honestly, there ain't nothing in the book tells you how many times a week you're supposed to come into church, except that you ought to set aside one day in seven um, for worship. Um, I love to see the house full on Wednesday nights. I promise you, I would. It do me some good. I think it might do you some good too if you can make it on Wednesday nights. The crowds on Wednesday night have been very very small, um, especially through the summer. But um, if I do the Revelation series on Wednesday nights, I will try to set it up where we can live stream part of it, at least to the group. I probably won't do it in a, um, in a public format because we sometimes have some dialogue that you wouldn't be able to hear on the live stream. So, um, but anyway, that's my plans. Revelation, the Bible gives us the title of the book in the very first words, the Revelation. Um, revelation is the word, the Greek word is apocalypse. Apocalypse does not mean an undoing. Um, or a catastrophic event, the word, even though we've made it synonymous with that. <laughs> Apocalypse means to unveil something. It literally means to take the covers off, to, to, to reveal um, the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, we know about him and what he's done. We know who he is and we know what he's done. We know where he is right now. But um, Revelation kind of gives us the, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, about the Lord Jesus. It was, there were some, some things that, that God revealed to John in Revelation that had not been revealed about Jesus um, very clearly before. And so he's given us the full picture of who Jesus is, not just the lamb um, who died upon the cross for the sins of the world, but the line of the tribe of Judah who will come back and rule and reign forever. Um, Revelation chapter 1 verse 19 gives you a little bit of a simple basic outline of the whole book of Revelation. He told John to write the things which you have seen. That's past tense. Write the things which are. That's present tense. And write the things which shall be hereafter. That's future tense. So, um, and that's kind of how the book of Revelation divides up. The first little, the first part, or actually most of chapter 1 is um, the past tense. John wrote that after he had seen that. Write the things which you have just seen. Past tense. Revelation chapter 2 and 3 are the letters to the churches. That is the church age of history. Um, that is present tense. That's what's happening right now. That's where we live. And then from chapter 6 through chapter 8, or actually all the way through chapter 22, is what shall be hereafter. That's future tense and it's all about Jesus there's a whole lot of stuff in here about tribulation about the antichrist about trumpets about seals about bowls of wrath being poured out but ultimately it is giving us the full picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus um, has done right now we're living in the present um, we're living in the things which are um, present in the church age and Jesus is in the midst of the church uh, and you can just say that very simply that he's in the midst of the church holding us fully accountable 
He's in the midst of the church holding us fully accountable for what we're doing right, for what we're doing wrong. Um, he's exhorting us. He's warning us. Um, he's given us opportunity to be who he has called us to be, which ultimately is that, is that he is preparing. Sammy gave a good devotion this morning from Ephesians chapter 5 about what Jesus is doing in the church. He's, he's, he's washing it. He's cleansing it. He's purifying it by his word so that he might present it back to himself, a spotless bride without without fault or without blemish. And so what Jesus is doing in the midst of his church now is preparing his bride for the future. Uh, he's preparing us for that kingdom that will be established on this earth forever that we will rule and reign with him on. Um, but right now we are, we are to be in the world but not of the world. So he's working in us, keeping us in the world as his, as his ambassadors um, but not letting us be of the world. We're not supposed to look like the world, act like the world, talk like the world. We're supposed to be a witness to the world of the, the, the change that Christ makes in our life until he takes us out of this world, which is um, the future. And that's kind of where we're going this morning. The church, ultimately, before the end of time, I believe, will be removed from the world. And, and, and I believe that that is the next big event on God's prophetic calendar, and that is the rapture of the church. I'm going to read all of chapter 4, um, but I'm only going to focus on just the first couple of verses, and I'm not sure we'll come back to any of it. I may make a little commentary as we read. Um, some of this imagery in Revelation, is you just purely have to speculate, and I'm not a fan of a lot of speculation when it comes to the Word of God. There's a lot of prophetic, a lot of symbolic imagery, and I'm not going to even pretend to know that I know what all of that means. But if you look in chapter 4, verse 1, John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. That tells me the first thing that we're going to see when we get to heaven is the one who sits upon the throne. And he that sat upon, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and, uh, and sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment and they had on their heads crowns of gold. I do not know who those twenty-four elders are. Some say twelve patriarchs of Israel. I don't really know where they get that from. Some say the twelve apostles with the twelve patriarchs of Israel. Um, I've heard some say that the twenty-four represents um, because he has made all believers priests. Um, David ordered 24 different orders of priests to minister constantly in the temple and perhaps there's a representative of each there around the throne I'm, I'm not sure who they are but they're people who had a very important role apparently on earth and who are given some authority in heaven to continue to rule and reign from there um, they were clothed in white raiments um, they had on their head crowns of gold and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. We've already covered that. There are not seven Holy Spirits, but the Holy Spirit is manifested in seven different ways. And Jesus, I think it's Isaiah chapter 11, um, the Bible talked about the spirit that was going to be upon Jesus, and that spirit is manifested seven different ways in and through his life. And so that's a symbolic term of the Holy Spirit. And before the throne there was a sea of glass likened to crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before 
and behind, and the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle, and the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Isaiah had the same vision of heaven in Isaiah chapter 6 when he saw those same living creatures. Ezekiel had that same vision, and I think it's Ezekiel 1, right there at the beginning of the book of Ezekiel. There are several representations of this vision where people were given glimpses into heaven and they saw the same revelation surrounding the throne of God, especially concerning those beasts. Those four beasts are given the responsibility to guard the throne of God day and night and to cry out holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty and when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat upon the throne which liveth forever and ever the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat upon the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying thou art worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created the first and last words of verse 1 are after this and hereafter. Um, John just got through talking to us about the church age. He just got through giving us the letters that Christ left to the church during the church age. And then he uses these terms to introduce a new, a new subject matter in the book of Revelation, a new, a new time period in the book of Revelation by using the words after this I looked, and then the last words of that, the angel said, I'm going to show you the things that come here after, which I take to mean after the church age. And what John does in this is moves in spirit from the earth to a throne room in heaven. Now, um, we're going to talk about the rapture this morning. I don't say a whole lot about it, and, um, and there, I need to bring some clarity to the subject because sometimes we talk about the second coming of Christ, and we, um, we talk about it in a sense that we mix up the second coming and the rapture. And that those are two different events. They're separated in the Bible, They're, and they should be separated in our hearts and in our minds. But I believe Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, although it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily just outright teach a rapture of the church, I believe there is an allusion to the rapture. There's, there are plenty of other places in the Scripture that bear out more teaching about it, but there is an allusion to the rapture in verses 1 and 2. Um, number one, there is a voice that is heard. Um, number two, there is a trumpet that sounds. Um, there is a calling that says, come up hither. And the Bible says that John was immediately caught up. All of those same words are used in the teachings of the, of the Word of God um, that pertain particularly, specifically to um, the rapture of the church. Now, you, 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 I'm, I'm just going to let you know, you, you're going to hear some people who are Christians, I'm not, going, I'm not going to tell you, that, I'm not going to say that they're not Christians because they're trusting Christ for their salvation just like we are. But there are some people who are going to tell you there's no such thing as a rapture. And one of the arguments that people use against the rapture is that word is not found in the Bible. And that is true. But you have to be careful about basing your doctrines on words that are or are not in the Bible because the language changes through centuries and words don't mean the same thing that they used to mean. The word that is used in the scripture is harpezo. And there are a lot of places in the Bible where you find that word used, and it literally means um, to be caught away, to be caught up. Um, I thought this was interesting that one of the word, one of the words that's translated is plucked. You're plucked, and, and Jesus used it. No man can pluck you out of my hand. No man can take you away from me. No man can can pull you out of 
my hand. So, the, so rapture isn't a Bible word, but, but, the, but the word that we um, translate from harpezo means the same thing as rapture, that the church is going to be called away or called up or plucked from this earth. One very interesting reference I saw to this is in where the word is used is in Revelation chapter 12, verse 5. That's a very that's a symbolic passage of scripture that talks about Christ. It's kind of a parenthesis in the book of Revelation that gives us a little glimpse into what Jesus came to do and what the enemy is trying to do to stop his mission on earth. Um, she is Israel. She brought forth a man child. That's Jesus who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child, that's talking about Jesus, Israel gave birth to the Messiah and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. So that's a reference to the ascension of Jesus when he left the earth and went to heaven. And that word caught up is, that, is the Greek word harpezo, which is where we get the idea of rapture. So that the rapture will look a whole lot like, very similar to the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so don't let people take that rapture in the Bible word. Um, I heard a guy got in an argument with Chris on social media a couple of weeks ago when Chris said repentance is required for salvation and the man said um, the gospel of John is the gospel of salvation in the book in the Bible and the word repentance is never used in the gospel of John. That's foolishness. Repentance is, is preached in every chapter in the New Testament by every writer of the New Testament and even though the word is not used in the book of John, repentance is necessary for salvation because repentance is far, part of faith. You cannot turn to Jesus without turning away from sin. You can't. So, so you can't just present that gospel of love without saying, in order for you to receive the love of God, you turn from your sins and turn to Christ for salvation. I can tell you another word that ain't in the book of John, that's the word grace. Except that Jesus is full of grace and truth. The teaching of grace as, as the promise of salvation is not there. That doesn't mean it's not in the book. And so be careful about people that use that's not in the Bible and that word is not in the Bible. Um, to totally discount a subject. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be harpezo, caught up. Caught up. Raptured away from this world. The dead in Christ are raised First, we which are alive and remain be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 and 52. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That is, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. So there is a teaching in the Bible of the rapture of the church from this world. And when we talk about the Lord's return, usually in the church when we talk about the Lord's return, we are talking about the rapture, not the second coming of the Lord. The second coming of Jesus Christ is in Revelation chapter 19. It comes after the tribulation. It really, when we talk about the rapture, it's not Jesus coming to earth. It's us going to heaven. Um, when Jesus comes again to the earth, he comes after the tribulation uh, in Revelation chapter 19. And, um, and so the, the rapture of the church, I believe, is going to precede the tribulation. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I do want to say this. I have, I have good Christian brothers who disagree about this subject. Don't argue with folks about it. It ain't, listen, I mean, I've, I've laughed about it and joked about it before. One of my friends who doesn't believe there's going to be a rapture, I said, you can stay if you want to. I'm going to be with Jesus. 
And I have, one, I have one brother that says, I don't know what I believe anymore. I've read so many different things about it, I'm totally confused. And he said, so I'm, I'm considering myself a pan-millennialist now. I said, what in the world is a pan-millennialist? I ain't never heard of that. I've heard of all kind of other millennialists, but I ain't never. He said, it's all going to pan out. <laughs> and, and so I, I honestly, I, I'm just trying, I'm, all I'm trying to tell you this morning is what I believe the Bible teaches about the church. And I'm going to tell you why I believe it teaches that. Um, there are some Christians that believe that, that the church is going to have to endure the great tribulation. That's post-tribulation. There are some that believe the church will have to go halfway through the tribulation and then be raptured. There are some Christians who are amillennial who believe there will be no rapture and there will be no little thousand years of reign, but that Christ will just come and establish his kingdom. And then there's pre-tribulation, that the church will be taken out of this world before the great tribulation. And that's what I am. That's what I, I believe the scripture teaches. So, so my intent today is just to show you why, um, why I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. Number one, there's no church on earth referenced in Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 18. Sixteen times in the first three chapters the church is mentioned and the church is on earth and letters are delivered to the church. There is no mention of the church being on earth in Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 18. Um, where are the blood-bought saints? Jesus has written two chapters specifically to the church and then all of a sudden they disappear from the scene and you don't see them again until Revelation chapter 19 and where are they in Revelation chapter 19 they're in heaven where they have been throughout the tribulation let me just give you um, some verses Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 um, talks about a group of people that were around the throne um, with those four with those four beasts and with those 24 elders it said and they sung a new song thou art worthy to take the book to open the seals for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So, so this peop, these people that are singing are from, uh, from all over the entire world. But they, they have been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But where are they in Revelation chapter 5? They are in heaven around the throne. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9, another very familiar passage of scripture. John saw again a countless multitude of people around the throne of God and, and he said it was a great multitude that no man could number of all nations, kindreds, people, tongues stood before the throne, before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and they cried to a loud voice salvation to our God. Where are they? They are in heaven. Revelation chapter 19 verse 1 introduces us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. After this I, after these things I heard a, after these things is an interesting word again that comes after the tribulation. After these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying hallelujah salvation and glory and honor and um, and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. These are saints in heaven giving glory to God for what happened on earth and for what's about to happen in heaven with the marriage supper of the Lamb. So um, are there any Christians left on earth during the tribulation? I believe every Christian on earth is going to be raptured at the tribulation. However, right after the rapture of the church, there's going to be a conversion that takes place among Jewish people. The Bible makes it very clear to us is that, the, that the tribulation is designed to bring Israel back to God, back to Christ. And Revelation chapter 7 points to 144,000 Jewish evangelists who are going to go forth with the gospel into the, all, all the earth, but they will be new converts 
um, to Christianity. I think the rapture takes the whole church out of the world. The, the Holy Spirit is removed with the church and the Jews come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because they realize that they've made a grievous error in rejecting who Christ is. And so um, I think the church vacates this earth before the tribulation actually begins. Let me read to you. I'm trying to read these fast. But Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels in heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. He's painting a picture here of, of the world going on, just like it normally does, um, until Noah went into the ark, and then immediately the flood comes. Uh, and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would have not suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. So there's no church referenced in Revelation chapter 6 verse 18 and Matthew leads us into the second point and that is that the church is promised salvation from his wrath not to have to endure his wrath. And I know some people use the word wrath exclusively to talk about the wrath of hell but the Bible makes it very clear in the book of Revelation that what God is doing on the earth through the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 6 verse 18 is pouring out his wrath without measure upon a wicked world. That's pre-hell. That's pre-second death. That's pre-lake of fire. God is pouring out his wrath upon this creation. It is true that the Lord will discipline us to correct us. But the Lord is not pouring out his wrath upon us. Because Christ has taken the wrath of God for our sins. Um, I don't believe we're going to be punished in hell. And I don't believe we're going to be punished on earth to that degree that his wrath is being. If God corrects us on earth, it's for discipline, it's for correction, it's to bring us to where um, we need to be. Jesus' words in Luke chapter 21, verse 34 through 36. Jesus said, Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged, that's overburdened with, uh, or, or overweighted with surfeiting, which is carousing or partying, um, and, and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. Listen to these words. For as a snare, a snare is something that catches people quickly. For as a snare, it shall come on all them that dwell upon the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape, that is you don't get caught in the snare. You be counted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Instead of suffering the snare, you will stand before the Son of Man, which is Revelation chapter 4. Paul's words in Romans chapter 5 verse 9, Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath. That ain't just saved from hell. It is saved from hell. Um, but it's also saved from the wrath that he's going to pour out upon the wicked of the earth. Um, through his son Jesus. First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10 said that we are to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Chapter 5 verse 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, uh, using Noah and Lot as his illustrations in Second Peter chapter 2 verse 9, 
Peter said that God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, the preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul, from day to day with the unlawful deeds, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. A better translation for that is God knows how to deliver the righteous out of their trials, out of their tribulations, and to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. So Peter used Noah and Lot. Guess what happened in Noah and Lot? Both of them escaped. before Noah escaped before the rain fell. Lot escaped before the fire fell. Both of those are Old Testament illustrations of the rapture of the church and that Christ takes us out of this world and we are in a place of safety when the wrath of God is being poured out on the earth. Thirdly, five proofs for a pre-tribulation of rapture. No church in Revelation 6 through 18. Churches promise salvation from his wrath. The scripture promises an imminent return of Christ. The word imminent means to be, the word imminent means something that happens suddenly without any warning whatsoever. Um, it can happen at any moment. Now, if you, if you read what happens during the tribulation, in fact, there is a reference in the, in, in the tribulation in the book of Revelation that you can literally count the number of days um, until Jesus comes again. There's, there's, there's going to be an event that happens in the middle of the tribulation, and I, I, I'll just, I don't want to get bogged down here. There is, an, there is an abomination which maketh desolate that takes a seat in the rebuilt temple of God and offers a sacrifice in that place and, and demands that he be worshipped. That is the Antichrist who takes the seat of the throne in the temple of the Jews during the tribulation and offers a sacrifice there and then he goes after those believing Jews upon the earth to destroy them. Well, the Bible makes it very clear that from the day that he does that, until I think it's 1,320 days thereafter or 1,360 days. I'd have to go back and look at it to be sure. It is, it is at the dead midpoint of the tribulation. Um, and at the end of that, Daniel prophesied of the same event that at the end of that, Christ would return. So listen, the second coming of Jesus ain't going to be no surprise to the world. When he comes back in Revelation chapter 19, you could have counted the days until that happens. What the Bible tells us about the rapture of the church is that it will come suddenly and without any warning and that nobody knows when it will be. That's imminent. That is, you don't know. Jesus, in fact, said the angels don't know. I don't know. My Father knows. The imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are a lot of signs that might precede the second coming. There are no signs that have to precede the rapture. Paul said it's going to come in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Revelation chapter 3, when he was writing to the church at Philadelphia, um, Jesus said to the church, that no, con no condemnation against that church. Everything that they were doing, he commended them for and told them to keep doing what they're doing. And here's the promise that he made them in that 11th verse. Behold, I come quickly. That doesn't mean I'm coming soon. That's not a matter of when he's coming. That's a matter of how he's coming. Um, but I come quickly don't mean I'm coming tomorrow or next week or next year or a thousand years from now. What that means is that when I come, I'm going to come all of a sudden. Hold on to that that you have that no man take your crown. And I thought this was interesting. 
closing the book of Revelation out, three times Jesus said the same words. In verse 7, he said, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according to his, as his work shall be. And then Revelation 22, 20, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. And John said, Even so come, Lord Jesus. So what does that say? Jesus said three times at the end of the book, It's going to happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and you need to be ready for that day to come. Number four, Scripture never says to prepare for the tribulation. Never says to prepare for the tribulation. There ain't no instructions for ark building. He didn't tell us, and I've, I've read it, and I, I get it, I understand it. He didn't tell us how to build bomb shoulders like he told Noah to build an ark. He didn't tell us how many animals to gather up to feed ourselves. If the church had to go through the tribulation, you'd think there'd be some instruction in the Bible about how we're supposed to live through it or endure it as good as we can, as well as we can, until he comes again. There are no instructions for ark building in the Bible. What it does tell us is just get in Jesus. <laughs> he is our ark. Just get, just get in the Lord Jesus Christ and stay covered in Him. And you'll be ready for that day. Now, I'm going to say this and I'm going to move on. There's nothing wrong with prepping for hard times. Um, I think the shadows of the tribulation may already be, we may already be seeing those shadows fall over our, our world. Um, somebody said that the four horsemen of the apocalypse can be heard from a, from a distance. We may be hearing the sound of those hoofbeats now. But if the, listen to me, if the tribulation... If we're seeing the shadows of the tribulation, if we're hearing the sounds of the tribulation, that just means the rapture is at the door. Because I believe the rapture precedes the tribulation. God didn't tell us to prepare for the tribulation. He told us to prepare for his soon and sudden coming. There's nothing wrong with prepping for hard times. But the tribulation is not for saints. The great tribulation is a seven-year period of time the Bible makes it very clear how long, it, how long this world's going to endure it before Christ comes. I believe it's seven literal years, and we're not going to be here for that. Now, you can prep ahead of time for it, and we are prepping ahead of time for, for, for hard times. But I'm, I, listen to me. When I hear the trumpet sound, and I hear that voice say, come up here, you can have all the beans and rice I leave behind. In fact, maybe somebody can use the bomb shelter I build. Somebody's going to be here and it needs it, but I don't plan to need it during the Great Tribulation. I might, I might use it up until then, but I'm vacating it when the trumpet sounds. And here's the last point. A pre-tribulational rapture of the church is consistent with death in general. Death, like the rapture, can occur suddenly without any warning whatsoever. I was talking to some of the first responders the other day outside the hospital. And several of them were talking about the conversations that they had, the laughter that they enjoyed two hours earlier. Um, Blue was supposed to work with Chris that day. And the, for some reason, somebody didn't come in to work or the fire department said, we need you. And he, he stayed over an extra shift. 
I can promise you this. He probably had no earthly idea, no premonition. Nothing ever crossed his mind that that would be his last day. That that would be his last trip down that road. That it would be his last shift. And, and, and so hear me. Jesus has always told us in his word to be ready. Not that I'm going to give you a three-minute warning to get ready. Not that, not that I'm, you're going to have all these premonitions and all, these, all this time. Um, both rapture and death can happen the same way. Suddenly and without any warning whatsoever. So we all live every day of our lives with that mindset that today can be my day. Even if, it's, even if Jesus doesn't come for his church today, he can come for me today. And, I, and I, I believe that if you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, death is a kind of a rapture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul said, We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, that's the body that we live in. If this, if this tabernacle is dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heaven, in chapter 5, verse 8, said, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what happens when you die. That's what happens when the rapture comes, that you are absent from this world and present in heaven. So death and the rapture are consistent with each other. Now, I don't think Christians need to fear either one of those. I don't think we need to fear either one of them. Why do some people reject the rapture? I, let me, I, I'm going to move on very quickly and finish up. Um, this, is, this is a, you know, we, I, I used to watch Star Trek. Anybody else used to watch Star Trek? I mean, I, this is the picture I get of the, of the rapture. Beam me up, Jesus. I don't know. I honestly don't know what it's going to look like. I mean, am I going to leave my clothes behind? If, if I do, I, I believe I'm going to get some more when I get there. Of course, the Bible does say in Genesis that they were naked and not ashamed when they were right with God. So um, that's a subject for a different day. I don't know how it's going to look like. I don't know if the world's going to see it or if we're just going to disappear. And, and listen to me. I get it that when, when, we, when we think about that subject, we think, oh, man, that's kind of sensational. That's How's that going to happen? How's people not going to know? And, and so we discount it because it sounds too supernatural. But can I tell you, you can't believe, you, you cannot trust this book if you cannot make yourself believe that supernatural things have occurred on this planet at God's plan and God's design. You do, you do know that this book says that God made the sun stand still for a whole day. Now, honestly... What we know what that means now is that God didn't make the sun stand still. He stopped the earth from spinning. For a day. Now you believe that? I believe it because the book says it. Now Hezekiah wanted a sign from God and God said, So what do you want me to do? 
You want me to move the sun forward 10 degrees on the sundial of Ahaz? Or you want me to turn it backwards 10 degrees? Hezekiah said, it's always going to be moving forward 10 degrees. A real miracle would be to see it turn backwards 10 degrees. So what does that mean? Two things are possible. Either God just made a shadow on the sundial because of his own presence, or God not only stopped the earth from spinning, but he turned it backwards. Now see, the laws of nature were designed, ordered, ordained, and, and, and the Bible says about Jesus that he holds all things in his hands and that all things are sustained by him. And so the God that created the laws of nature um, can suspend the laws of nature. You remember the resurrection of Jesus? The Bible said they were in a room and the doors were locked. They were in a room and the doors were locked. They were afraid of what was about to happen to them. Jesus had been crucified. And all of a sudden, with, with, the Bible made it clear, windows locked, doors shut. They were, and, and suddenly, the Bible said, Jesus was standing in the midst of them. And you know what they said? We've seen a ghost. This is his ghost. And Jesus said, I'm not, I'm not a ghost. A ghost doesn't have flesh and blood. Touch me. Now, what in the world? How can you have a physical body and pass through a brick wall? Jesus did it. He suspended the laws of nature. You know where time and matter came from and space came from? God created it. He can do whatever he wants to with it. Run it backwards, run it forward, suspend it, pass through it. There is no time with God. He dwells in eternity. So we have to think outside the box when you read the Bible. You have to think beyond the natural and see supernatural. And so I'm telling you, the God that, set the, that made the earth stop spinning for the day, um, the God who, who, who turned it backwards 10 degrees, the God who made Jesus come out of the grave and pass through solid brick walls to get to his disciples, can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it, including taking his church out of this world in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And every dead Christian in that cemetery is coming up with us. That's what the Bible says. I believe that. So don't let, it, don't let the sensationalism of the rapture make you not believe it. Let me just finish with this. I promise you, I'm going to run through these faster than I've ever run through anything before in my life. You're going to think I'm sprinting. Let me give you... Let, let me give you if, if you ever see me sprinting, somebody is chasing me, by the way. If you want to be, re if you want to be ready for rapture or death, and, and this is an old sermon I just, I just pulled it out to close this one up with, I, I'll just put the verses up there and just tell you what the points are. If you're going to be ready for the rapture or ready for death, repentance is necessary. Repentance is required. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 said, God doesn't want anybody to perish, but he wants everybody to come to repentance. He wants everybody in this world. Why has Jesus not already come? I, you know what? Every day I feel more like John. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Even so, come. Even so, come. I'm ready. Why is God tarrying? Peter told us why. Because he wants everybody to turn from their sin and turn to Jesus. Assembly is enjoyed. Hebrews 10, 25. All these verses pertain to that second coming, to that rapture of the church, to, to even death. Assembly is enjoyed. Um, church is the best experience you have of heaven on earth. The Bible said don't forsake gathering together as his people like some people do, but keep exhorting each other daily and so much more as you see the day approaching. What day? That day that Jesus returns. Get more faithful, not less faithful. I look around at people these days and I'm like, 
with everything going on around you, how could you be falling away now? Why would you fall away now? Purity is pursued. First John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Um, John said, but, but behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. The second verse, beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, there's a rapture, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What does that do for us? Every man that hath this hope, that hope in the rapture, that hope that when we breathe our last breath, we're going to stand in his presence. Is that every man purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Purity is pursued. Sobriety is exercised. I'm not just talking. I'm not talking about drunkenness as far as sobriety is concerned, for, uh, although that is a concern too. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse eight, when it talks about us living sober lives, it means to live a governed life, and he tells us what that looks like to be to put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. So, so sobriety is that we live lives governed by faith. We live lives governed by love. We live lives governed by the hope that Jesus is coming for us. And the last point is we got to be patient. I, it, you know, I've been, hearing the sto- I've been hearing preaching about the rapture all of my life. He ain't come yet. And, and you know what happens when, when, you, when you hear something and you get all excited about it and then... The event doesn't happen, and the event doesn't happen, and the event doesn't happen, and anticipation begins to wane. And the scripture recognized that we have that tendency, and so patience is imperative for us. Um, James chapter seven, 5, verses 7 through 8, he said to be patient unto the coming of the Lord. And he talked about how a husband waits for fruit and has long patience for it until God has given everything that it needs to bring forth. And verse 8 um, says that that's the way that we ought to live our lives, to be patient, to establish ourselves because the coming of the Lord is drawing nearer by the day for his church and for each one of us. Listen, the day of my death, whenever that day is, I believe that's already on God's calendar. It ain't on mine. It ain't on mine. And I'm going to tell you something. If he wrote it, if he told me when my day of death, I probably wouldn't write it on my calendar. I'd rather not know. But the Bible tells me that I need to be prepared for it. And he tells me how to do that. Keep your hand on your plow and eye on the skies. Keep Occupy till he comes. Keep doing what he's called you to do until he comes. Every person alive, every person in this room is going to make a sudden and unexpected transition from here to hereafter. You hear me? People that are, listen, even people that are laying on their deathbed that are under hospice care, death still comes as a surprise. I've sat, I've sat at the side of too many beds and watched people, and sometimes it can be hours and sometimes it can be days, but when that moment comes, it's always unexpected. It, it's, it, it's always like, okay, we knew it was coming, but now it's here. And I, I want you to understand that that's true of every person in this room, that either by the rapture or by death, everybody in this room is going to go from here to hereafter in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And then the only thing that's going to matter is whether we were prepared for that transition. Are we prepared for that transition? I'm asking musicians to come and you to stand with me. Father, I thank you for... 
I thank you for the promise of the rapture. I thank you for the promise of being spared from the wrath that you're going to pour out upon this earth. Thank you for the motivation that it gives us to live our lives in such a way that we can be ready at any moment for you to come quickly. Thank you for the motivation that it gives to us to be witnesses to everybody that's around us, knowing that that day could come anytime and that we ought to be ministers of the gospel while we can. Lord, I pray for every person in this room that we're, that we're ready, that we're ready. I might as well tell you what I hope because you know already I'd love to be standing in this pulpit with these people on a Sunday morning with our eyes and our hearts already lifted in worship when all of a sudden we hear the sound of a trumpet and a voice shout from heaven saying come up here and this building I pray would be vacant every person in it caught up to be alongside those saints that are coming up out of those graves in that cemetery next door to see so many that I have loved and I've missed and to rejoice together in a rapture, a resurrection, a reunion and a rejoicing like we have never had before. I, I believe you're going to come back on a Sunday because you're crucified, buried and rose again. On a, you rose on a Sunday. The baptism of the of the Holy Spirit came to the church on a Sunday. It just makes sense to me that when you come again, it's going to be on a Sunday. And I'd love for it to be here. While we're here in this place, even today, I pray you'd help us to all be ready and to help us all make others ready while there's a chance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Because I know there is peace within your prayer.